All right, so <clears throat> welcome to uh, Reading Tolkien uh, podcast. We're a new podcast uh, intended to kind of read through Tolkien's work carefully and with, um, I suppose, a thematic and, and literary focus. And um, as we as we sort of go through today's inaugural episode, uh, I'll explain a bit about what sort of I envisage for the podcast. But um, First, I'll introduce uh, the co-host, Razib. So, hello, Razib. How are you? Hey, how's it going, man? Um, I'm really excited uh, to talk about Tolkien and uh, be an unashamed nerd of Middle <laughs> Earth. <laughs> yes, that's that's awesome. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's a bit of an experiment, um, but uh, it's been a while. Or, you know, I've, I've been wanting to do a podcast, I guess, for a while on Tolkien and sort of perhaps not just talking, but, you know, maybe some related things, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, I know you love George R. R. Martin, so <laughs> or at least well, I know you've read, read his books, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, I do. Uh, we, we can get into that. I definitely, uh, my, you know, I've, re- I've, I've been reading George R. R. Martin since January of 1999, so uh, right. that's actually a substantial portion of my life now. Uh, it's... Mm-hmm. Basically, my whole adult life. So uh, I, I have actually changed my views somewhat. And if you want to get into that, we could get into that later. Sure, sure. Just, just one quick question before I go any further. Do you think he'll actually release the next book? <laughs> I think for the next book, it's I, I give it a fifty-fifty shot. Uh, but I don't think he will complete it. I don't because he has two books to go. Interesting. And yeah, uh, okay. Yep. He's already. He's already like it was spring of 2011 that he came out with the last book, so yeah. we're getting nine and a half years out now. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? My God, I remember I remember going to um to buy the last book. Um, but yeah, gosh, that's that's so long ago now. Um, I was just studying it's, university. It's, it's 2011. It's a decade ago. I mean, the world was very different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, anyway, as you say, we can um, we can we can get into that, and I'm sure we'll talk about um, talk about Martin quite a bit as 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 that comes up, um, and perhaps other other authors as well who we might want to sort of compare and contrast uh, to Tolkien. So I suppose um, before we launch into you know what we want to discuss in this first episode, which will just be a sort of a casual conversation. Um, perhaps we'll talk about Lord of the Rings a bit, and also the upcoming uh, sort of TV show, which no doubt we will talk about as that um, is released and as the news comes out about that. Although I should say, at the time of recording, um, we don't have a lot of news, so um, there's not much to go on, unfortunately. But there has been some recent, uh, I don't know, controversy, which we'll talk about. But before we do that. Um, I just wanted to outline, I suppose, my own uh, vision of the podcast, if you like, which sounds very pretentious, but anyway. Um, So as I said, I suppose I had been wanting to do a podcast for a while, um, just in part because I know this this show is coming up and also because there are a lot of other Tolkien podcasts out there now and um, there are more and more uh, that are released all the time. Um, And in general, what they seem to do, and this is not a, criticism per se but they take you know one of the books and then read through chapter by chapter um and this is very good but i noticed more or less everyone is doing this and so i wanted to um i wanted to sort of do a podcast which wouldn't do that (laughs) um 
revolutionary, but just to approach Tolkien, I suppose, in a different way. Um, so I thought a sort of a thematic, uh, a thematic approach might be interesting. So each episode we might have a reading of some text um, of Tolkien's, not necessarily in like chronological order or anything, and then uh, perhaps also some sort of secondary text like a, I don't know, a, an article or something like that, um, which sheds light on the on the text. And of course, you know, Tolkien's more than just Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. So I wanted to, um, you know, start with uh, start with a different kind of text um, and, and not one of those most some more famous ones. Although, no doubt. Um, no doubt we will get to those. So, I just wanted to ask Razib, what what's what have you read of Tolkien's work up to up to this point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a definitely not a completist, but I'm also not like someone who's just read, uh, you know, uh, the trilogy along with the Hobbit. Um, I have read. Um, this is back in my. Uh, dorky teen years <laughs> uh, i have read <laughs> unfinished tales um i have read the silmarillion uh, i have read a few other um anthologies that christopher tolkien put together so christopher tolkien is the late the late son of J.R. tolkien and he put out the series the history of middle earth there's all of this work based on his father's notes and his unfinished um you know unfinished manuscripts and so I, d- I did read some of that. Um, this is back in the 1990s. Uh, and so it wasn't all entirely available and it wasn't all accessible. It's totally different now. So, you know, there are these websites like Tolkien Gateway and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, Men of the West is a, is a YouTube show that I occasionally listen to because they just shed light on this whole voluminous, like, literature, this whole imagination that mm. came out of this one guy's mind and that's just kind of amazing to me uh i'm at the stage in my life where i would not um i can't make that my life like my thing but if i was 15 i can see that this (laughs) would really really capture me in a way that i I couldn't have done it just reading unfinished tales or or the other um you know shorter works the incomplete works uh of tolkien that i did read um yeah yeah, so i I do have some background but i'd say i'm definitely middle core (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess if we're thinking about hierarchies like that, I guess I am hardcore. <laughs> Although I wouldn't call myself a completist either. I don't have every volume of every publication. Um, the History of Middle Earth series, for example, I don't own. Yeah, well, I don't have most of that actually. Um, yeah, well, but- there's there's so many volumes of that. Sometimes I think if you're a Tolkien completist, with the rate that normal people read, you're not going to be reading anything else in your life. Just too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And I think those volumes are designed more or less for um, sort of dipping into. They're not necessarily going to be read, um, and they are scholarly. They are um, they are sort of assemblages of of texts that are um, yeah not not really designed to be read through necessarily. Although I suppose you could do that, and I know some, I have heard that some people do do that, but uh, certainly I I do not approach the history of middle earth like that because <laughs> yeah that that would that would take take some time and there are lots of lots of other books um i think we're both pretty heavy readers from um judging from <laughs> your blog as well i think you're doing a reading series at the moment or something um so yeah we're doing a i'm doing a uh my blog is called gene expression for the listeners um yeah. i'm doing a 
a book club where we are reading one chapter of two books right now. Um, you know, Not Born Yesterday. It's a cognitive science book about how humans aren't gullible by Hugo Mercier. And uh, also Autumn in the Heavenly Kingdom by Stephen Platt, uh, which is about the Taiping Rebellion in the 1850s. So every week, uh, some readers and I are reading one chapter of each. But I'm also reading other things concurrently, usually. Uh, so yeah. I, mostly I read... Uh, that's um, cool non-fiction history now uh i'm a geneticist yeah. so when it comes to genetics i just tend to read the papers i don't read the books um and then when it comes to fiction uh i just you know i feel like i get more out of i mean you know i'm in a, i mean i could have a heart attack tomorrow you know not to be morbid right <laughs> so do i want to have read the latest brandon sanderson or you know, mm-hmm. something more just timeless yeah, yeah. in my opinion. And so I, I've definitely like moved away. Like if, if George R. R. Martin came out with his next book, like next week, mm-hmm. like it was published, which it's not going to be. Yes, I would read it. Um, yeah. I still haven't read the next in the, um, in the name of the King, uh, that series. Uh, for, I forget the author's name now. I but yeah. yeah, yeah, the the King Killer series, the King Kill in the in the name of the wind. Yeah, the King Killer series, right? Oh, and so yes. okay. he yeah, has yeah. been really, really delayed uh, on mm. his third mm. book. And here's the thing, um, <laughs> I actually bought his his uh his um second book like in 2012, but I refused to mm. read it, and I was right. basically okay. thinking, you know, I don't want to get into this. George R. R. Martin and thing. That's the last one to come out. Well, yeah, so I just was like, yeah. I told my brother, I was like, I'm just going to wait until the third book comes out. It's been eight years and it still hasn't come out. And I know yeah. that there's, it's Patrick Rothfuss, by the way, is the name, ah, the author. Right. But yes, yes. I know his like agent has complained about his tardiness, even on Facebook. She deleted the post. But, so there's a whole <laughs> oh, wow. thing there. I don't know. I don't know the, the drama. So I, I tend not to read that much fiction. But, um, you know, I've read, I've read, I think, like, you know, I haven't read, um, some of the newer books that have come out uh, on Middle Earth, they're kind of like repackaged from the Silmarillion. So I might, um, depending on just time and how I feel like it. But so why am I, you know, I want to say, Ben, why I'm interested in Middle Earth and why Tolkien still speaks sure. to me. Sure. It's so influ- influential in genre fiction yeah. In the fantasy genre fiction, like, you know, like Brandon Sanderson has talked about how everything is basically a Tolkien ripoff. Um, and <laughs> authors like George R. R. Martin or R. Scott Baker, they write their works in part as a counterpoint mm. to Tolkien. So Tolkien is the reference. Like, even if you reject his framework in some way, you're starting with him. And so he really revolutionized and created this whole genre. And I think it transcends genre. Um, the Lord of the Films, Lord of the, Lord of the, Lord of the Rings films came out in the wake of 9-11 and uh, they were very, very inspirational and they spoke to a particular cultural moment. I mean, that's how people felt about them. Like I was, you know, alive and sentient in the United States at the time. And I can tell you people said, you know, like, you know, the men of the West fighting, you know, these dark forces, blah, blah, blah. It was in hindsight, it was obviously uh, exaggeration and it's not like these terrorists living in a cave in Afghanistan are orcs, although, you know, orcs probably do live in caves. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is <laughs> yeah. they do speak to broader themes and sure. um, there's this idea that serious fiction has to be about like contemporary affairs and, you know, something like the mm-hmm. corrections, you know, Jonathan Franzen, <laughs> a book about a Midwest family, you know, um, and yeah, I don't actually yeah. agree with, I don't agree with that. There are people who are fans of genre fiction who think that genre fiction, the way it's been ghettoized, is kind of an um, 
artificial uh it's an artificial modern construct to like constrain it that way partly because what were the great like mythic works of the past like you know what is the iliad the iliad is actually a lot like genre fiction you know or um indian tradition the ramayana or the mahabharata they're basically like what we would call epic fantasy today the story of gilgamesh it's very similar to epic fantasy so you know we don't we don't have too many like prose novels from the past where it's like psychological interiority of someone who you know works as a overseer on a farm in ancient egypt you know it's just 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 you know it's like these grand themes so that's what that's why i think is important Yeah, absolutely. And and perhaps the closest we have from the ancient world to sort of something approximating a a realist novel, a, a kind of Greco-Roman novels, which um, which do seem to have been a, a sort of a, a kind of genre, somewhat analogous to a modern realist novel. But but even there, they they often involved um, uh, you know uh, supernatural powers. Um, the famous the famous one is of course the ass. Um, you know, yeah, the golden ass. Yeah. yeah, the golden ass. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty funny <laughs> novel too. But yeah, exactly. So you know, even even there, it's it's not. Um, there's nothing quite analogous to um, to sort of the, the the sort of damp, you know, dreary realism um, that that passes for modern fiction. Um, and I just want to say, in terms of my reading habits, um, I'm yeah, broadly similar. And I think you know, eighty to ninety percent of what I read would be also nonfiction history, archaeology, which is what I've studied. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, my, my, my fiction reading is, is fairly limited um, to <laughs> uh, actually to American fiction uh, from the 19th and sort of mid-20th century. <laughs> so I have, I have sort of a weird, um, a weird interest in, 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 uh, in American fiction, despite obviously from my accent being Australian. Um, so I, my, my my sort of fiction interests are not uh, not necessarily um, you know easily they're not going to be sort of easily uh, prophesied as it were you know if, if all you knew about about my reading was that I that was out, that I was interested in Tolkien um, I've actually I've actually tried I've tried the fantasy genre the sort of more recent novels I've read all of George R. R. Martin up to up to now um, or up to 2011, and um, I haven't read Patrick Rothfuss, um, but you know I've tried. Uh, gosh, what's that? What's that fantasy series that uh, that inspired George R. R. Martin? Sort of. Uh, I don't know if you've read it. Um, it was well, he, there was a bunch of influences, but he said like bunch, the yeah, Dying yeah. Earth. Jack Vance was one. Jack Vance, yeah. A and then bit of also, Jack Vance. Yeah, so I mean that was one of these. Oh, Tad Williams. Yes, that's who I'm yes. thinking of. Yeah, Tad, Tad Williams, Williams. Dragon yeah, Boat yeah. Chair. Yes, and I have read a yes, fair amount of Tad right. Williams. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked that first book, but but I never sort of uh, I didn't really continue reading it, and I've not read any Brandon Sanderson. I know he seems to be the uh, the, the wonderkind of fantasy as a, as a kind of genre these days. But um, yeah, I've not I've not stepped in there, or, you know, into that into that tent. So. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I, I I've sort of <laughs> developed an interest in Tolkien, but never it's never really um, it's never really gone beyond that. Yeah. And uh, you know, if I'm reading fiction, I sort of read I don't know what's the last the last novel I read was um, something by oh god I don't know probably Steinbeck or something. 
Um, so it's something completely different, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, my, my reading habits are, are, are pretty weird, I think, as well. Um, well, not that yours are weird, but you know what I mean. Um, they're not necessarily... Um, unique. I like to think unique, special. Yeah, unique, yeah, that's right. Yeah, special. They're special moments. Um, so you know, I'm I'm coming to Tolkien with an interest um, uh, in him as a as a writer and in in that work, and not necessarily from the perspective as of someone who's interested in the fantasy genre as a whole. And we can sort of talk about you know how Tolkien really fits into that um, genre if he does really in a you know, in, a, in a modern sense. Um, but uh, I kind of have, have doubts about that. Um, I think fantasy's gone in different, well, different directions. But again, you've read more of it than me, so um, I'm not sure I, I'm the best, um, the best person to necessarily um, make judgments with regards to that. But, um, you know, it's an interesting, an interesting side question, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, so let's, let's talk about... Uh... Let's talk about this the um, Amazon series, which has kind of been sure. delayed by uh, coronavirus nineteen as we're recording right now. Uh, which, you know, unfortunately, yeah. I think <laughs> it, that is going to be a relevant reference for a long time for the listeners. So yes, yeah. we're not we're not really dating ourselves, but um, so that has delayed it. But it looks like it's going to take off again at some point. I mean, maybe they're just going to have to film in South Korea or New Zealand. Actually, it is in New Zealand, isn't it? I don't know if it's a, if the Amazon series is also filmed in New Zealand because that might have helped. But in any case, it's it's coming back. And so one of the things that um, people have mentioned, and I joked about this on my blog like a couple of years ago when it first yeah. when word first came out that they were going to try to update it, make it more contemporary, and introduce some sex scenes. And I was actually just <laughs> joking. I wasn't super serious because right. I thought, come now, like there's going to be limits to like how farcical you can make this sort of thing because it's just. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Like there was apparently, um, I read in doing a little bit of research for this uh, podcast. Actually, uh, I read that they there was a a, treat, a Hollywood treatment of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, <laughs> yes, where yeah. um, like Frodo was involved in a sex scene. <laughs> yeah, I think with Galadriel, right? That what it was? Yeah, which is about that somewhere. That's 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 actually very 2020. That's actually very rule 34. <laughs> you know, like I I, yes, I can, I, yeah. I feel that now. Like that that is of the time. It is not of the 1980s. It's more of like the 2020s. And so, um, I, I I guess my point there though is, uh, okay, so they have confirmed that they are gonna do some more adult situations, and. Mm -hmm. You know, my reaction to that is I'm not even outraged. I just laugh because I just think it's so not in keeping with the spirit and the flavor, just like what you yeah. get out of the books. Like, like, what is the what is the air, the atmosphere in the books? Like, they're not. Yes, obviously they do have to re they do have to engage in sexual intercourse somewhere, but that's all off stage. <laughs> you know, the language yeah. is, it's very language is very elevated. There's very few like low class people. Like the hobbits are your stand in for average people you know middle class people right everybody else is you know the prince of this the lord of that the you know dwarf prince <laughs> and you know all of them right yep. and so yep. having having sex seems a little weird what do you think well yeah so first of all i want to i want to caution that this uh this story is is not well supported by um by sources so uh 
I'm, I believe it was first, um, I think that the site called the one ring.net, which is sort of a yeah kind of an older fan site, um, broke this, but, um, I just want to caution, you know, listeners and also, you know, us that, um, that this is not necessarily going to be well supported by sources. So I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this turns out to be, uh, something of a red herring in the end, but let's say that they, um, that that's right. And there is some sort of sexual element, um, and by the way, I think just from having a look at, you know, a couple of articles um, online, I think people are sort of concerned that it will become, um, you know, something like the sexploitation kind of phenomenon that, you know, seemed to, um, well, it was seemed to be prevalent in sort of seasons one and two of Game of Thrones, especially, um, you know, and, and so on. The later seasons seem to have less of that, but um, I think that's what people are concerned about, but they don't want, you know, necessarily... A little finger, you know, standing in front of, um, you know, a, a, a whorehouse, as it were. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason they called him Little Finger. <laughs> no, so I'm yeah. actually checking, I'm checking One Ring, and so I guess the issue is there was a casting call, and it said yeah, yeah. you must be comfortable with nudity, and so that doesn't mean that there will be yeah. nudity, but maybe they're right, just making yeah. sure that they have that in there. Or you know yeah. what? It could just be a generic casting call that they didn't edit appropriately because. <laughs> Whatever. That's right. Yeah. You know, my that, understanding that, is that, um, yeah, yeah. My understanding is that there's no reason to believe that that's for the little, the sorry, the Lord of the Rings show. Um, that it could be for some other show. So, um, yeah. Although apparently they did hire an intimacy coordinator, but uh, again, this is sort of a post Me Too thing that a lot of shows have. It doesn't necessarily imply sex, let alone sexploitation. Well, so <laughs> let me and uh, let me be. Um, let me put this out there. I do think if there is nudity, I think that that could actually be done tastefully in a way. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to see, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't want to see nude dwarf females. Okay. I don't want to see <laughs> bearded females nude. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Right. So I, I think I have my limits there, but I do think that you could imagine, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a tastefully done, nude scene or something where it's not even sexual like maybe they're taking a bath somewhere i don't know i'm just trying to say that there's ways that you can do this where it's kind of in keeping with tolkien's almost edwardian sensibility you know these like tastefully done paintings of nude young women or nymphs or whatever okay i can see that actually um yeah but to like get it on with sex you know sex position (laughs) as they called it on game of thrones that would just be like what i mean so in the world of middle earth you, you presume that there are sex workers okay like prostitutes right because uh, that's what most sex were there weren't probably strippers in the middle ages so i guess we'll just say prostitutes <laughs> right um yeah. but you know they, they're never depicted they're never alluded to that's just not part of the atmosphere of the world that we are exposed to so even if it's there mm-hmm. we're not told of it so i think that's what people need to keep in mind if they want to stay sure. true to the original vision, which we don't know if they do. They want to make money. Yeah. Really. Well, that's true. Um, so I guess I want to say a couple of things. So first of all, there is, um, th- there's a difference I think between uh, the Lord of the Rings book um, as a kind of finished uh, and, you know, published product and also some of the other, the other writings Um especially in unfinished tales and other other volumes that um, you know we might look at in the future um, and actually the first um, the first kind of story I wanted to look at 
uh, you know, more in depth in this podcast is from Un Unfinished Tales. Um, that's the story of uh, Aldarion and Arendis, which is set in uh, in the sort of Numenor, which is this uh, kind of Atlantis-like island, um, which you may remember from, from Unfinished Tales. Um, but um, it seems like this is going to uh, feature fairly heavily in the show because it was on one of the maps that were released that was released back in March last year, uh, which sort of uh, sort of revealed the actual setting of the show, that it would be set in the Second Age. Um, and you know, for those for those listeners who have uh, who have read uh, Unfinished Tales and, and sort of if, well, even just Lord of the Rings, you'll know that uh, Numenor is a particularly uh, you know important um, uh, sort of location, I guess, setting um, for those for those stories. And, um, yeah, I mean, some of these stories are fragmentary, but, um, particularly this story, uh, uh you know, it, it, it sort of, it's about a kind of, um, basically a marital relationship that goes wrong, <laughs> which, um, ironically sounds very kind of realist fiction like, but, um, you know, it's set in this fantastical world. Um, and, uh, you know, it does involve, Although it's true to say, I think that there are no uh, sort of explicit depictions of, say, a sex scene in in Tolkien's work. Um, you know, if you read, for example, Eldarion and Arendis, it's, it's much more explicit than Lord of the Rings. It's much more, um, you know, there are allusions to, um, uh, you know, to sex, and there's even kind of an orgy at the end, <laughs> which is really weird. Um, so, you know, I think I think looking only at the Lord of the Rings novel yeah. itself. Fair. Is a little um, well. It, it's understandable because um, this is the most famous work. But um, you know, if we're looking at the the Second Age, which is what's been, um, which is what's being actually depicted on the screen, I think there is precedence for um, more depiction of sexuality, even even within the the context of Tolkien's own own work. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. From my yeah, from my point of view, I think that the the Lord of the Rings novel, at any rate, is, um, you know, and, and again, I, I think that this is a matter of taste, but I think the Lord of the Rings novel is just, it, it's more, uh, you know, it is about kind of male relationships, you know, non-homosexual ones. Well, that's, yeah, that's debatable. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so yeah. you know, yeah, let's, that's actually a good point. Um, so the show is going to be set in the Second Age, which is a little bit of a, it's like a little bit of a lacunae. Um, I mean, yes, there's yeah. stuff that we know about, but Tolkien yeah. didn't really focus that much on it. He focused on the first age and the Silmarillion, a lot of the, not all of the unfinished tales, but you know, there's a lot of those works like, you know, the story of Turin mm -hmm. and all that. That's all from the mm -hmm. first age. A lot happened in the first age. And then yeah. the third age is what Lord of the Rings is. At least like, yeah. you know, a lot of the third age. And then, um, then we got the second age, which is kind of just backdrop. Um, we don't really have much from it. Like that was the time of Gilgalad, uh, the last of the High King of the Noldor in Middle Earth. So there was a lot of stuff that happened, and Sauron yep. was, you know, wrecking havoc. So there's a lot of stuff that happened, but it's all history and it's all really vague. And you do point out an interesting aspect: the Numenorians are very, very. Uh, there are people where there's multiple shades of gray there uh, that, that that are not present in Simon, like, you know, the elf, the good elves that we know of from the Lord of the Ring, the Numenorians, you know, they had, um, 
you know, the elf friends, they had, you know, kind of a good faction, but they had an evil faction that led to the black Numenorians, which refers to kind of like their, you know, morals and their ethics, not their, you know, complexion. And so um, I think that that could introduce a sort of dramatic tension um, that wasn't frankly present in the Lord of the Rings, the film or in the books, because um, there wasn't any secret good orc or you know yeah. um yeah there were there were not i mean i guess saruman turned but i mean yeah characters I wanna, were good yeah, or evil I'm, yeah i mean i would want to i think that's a yeah, difficult question i mean i would want to first sequester off the question of orcs and sort of ethical questions there um because i think i think these seem to have developed from a kind of you know a kind of folktale goblin trope um more or less that you know, and then and then they, they they introduced into the early, you know, what would become the Silmarillion material, and but by the time of the Lord of the Rings, they're still kind of there, but um, they start being used as characters, and you know, in a few of the chapters, and I think I think for Tolkien, you know, if you read some of the letters, um, you know, which which one day we might get into in more detail, um, it's clear that he never really resolves the issue of the orcs and what to do with them. And he does, um, especially in the last couple of volumes of the History of Middle-Earth series, he does, um, you know, sort of communicate a kind of dissatisfaction with how the orcs are dealt with, you know, and ask the question of, you know, can they be redeemed? Uh, you know, are they truly evil? And unfortunately, you know, obviously he, he passed away and, and sort of never resolved the question. And I think um, I think as readers that that's, a, that's just something that... Um, you know, the orcs are just sort of a question that, that's never quite quite addressed, perhaps satisfactorily. Um, but I think that's a separate question as to whether the other characters are, uh, you know, good or bad. And I think even in the novel The Lord of the Rings, that's um, – I think part of the problem is that people, when they remember the book or the movies, they think of the, the big uh, action set pieces and they forget uh, books like four and six. Um which deal with Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, which are much more novelistic than uh, the sort of more yeah. romance kind of Aragorn, you know, etc. Um, so I think you know I think it's worth remembering that um, that that those you know that there is there are those kind of features to the book which um, which can give it more of a, a sort of a novelistic kind of. Um, veneer if you like <laughs> but um but any rate yeah with, with, in terms of the numnorians i think that's right they are a sort of ambiguous kind of culture and you know the main story i guess that we have of them is of course they're sort of the downfall which is in the silmarillion um which is the last oh second to last story there but uh, yeah there's a bit more material in unfinished tales and we do have this this kind of partially finished um, story of, uh, of sort of the earlier, you know, earlier centuries of, of the kingdom or of the, of the realm, which is, you know, quite interesting. And as, as I said, it's something I want to sort of have a look at in, in more depth. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh, in terms of the show, uh, I don't know exactly what, you know, what, uh, I don't know where they're going to take it, but, you know, I hope they look at some of that extra material and sort of well, so- you know, incorporate it. 
Yeah. One thing I, you know, I do have to say that about the show is the difference between Game of Thrones, the show, and this show is that um, the world of Tolkien was to some extent already even before the films it was already a cultural phenomenon that had kind of broken out of its ghetto um yeah and you know the films really expanded that to the point where uh you know lord of the rings is a pop culture phenomenon and touchstone even for non-nerds yeah. uh and so <laughs> the show is stepping into this whole landscape with a lot of pre-existent impressions beliefs and um just priors, right? Yeah. Game of Thrones, yeah, uh, sure. you know, I had read the books. Uh, I special ordered the special ordered from England Storm of Swords to get it three months ahead of time in June, <laughs> of, 2000, yeah. June of 2000. Okay, so um, right, yeah, I definitely yeah. am like super into that. And so when people started talking about Game of Thrones and all these things, I was just like, okay, this is not, this is annoying because I was into this back in the day and now all these normal people are into it and yeah. they're also kind of changing certain things uh so that uh you know i mean if you read a book and you know like what the hair and eye color of a particular character is and then it's like they change it and, and they didn't do it too much but they did some of it and they change it in the show and people who know it from the show will assume it's a certain way and you know you get into this so, but Game of Thrones, the issue is they are, it was bigger than the novels. Like it made the novels bigger. Like it made yes. incredibly rich because people went and bought the novels. Lord of the Rings is, is a totally different situation because yes, some people will watch the series on Amazon and buy the novels, but really it's nothing compared to the films, which was like, it was a more restricted media environment and the films were a huge multi-billion dollar phenomenon, uh, more than a billion dollars, uh, they were huge at the time. And yeah. so I think that, um, you know, we have to keep that in mind. And I think that sure. also places limitations on what they can do because uh, they're not coming into a mental vacuum of what the viewers want. So I think if they do, and I, I'm not saying that they will, but if they do try to make it too <laughs> much like Game of Thrones, I think people will be turned yeah. off because they already had Game of Thrones. And yeah. Lord of the Rings is a totally different thing. And if you lose the core fans... I think that's a problem because you, yeah. you can grow from the core, but you can't abandon the core and get new fans. In my opinion, it's just not going to work as well. Like with word of mouth yeah. and, you know, positive feedback. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess, I don't know, thinking about this, the problem for the show, um, you know, in my, in my eyes is, is that obviously, as we've already said, they're making this a prequel. Um, but, you know, as you've already said, the second age material is sort of sparse. It's unfinished. Um, it's not as accessible as obviously the Lord of the Rings novel, um, let alone the Hobbit. Um, and so although there is a fan base, uh, you know, a lot, even those fans themselves are not going to be as familiar with the material as, um, you know, as the fans of, of say Game of Thrones were when the TV series came out. So they're in a sort of an odd position. They've called, well, so far the show is just called Lord of the Rings. So we don't know if it will get a, a sort of more specific name or a name more specific to the actual time period that they're setting it in. Um, and, uh, you know, at the same time, um, they, uh, you know, at the same time that they're, they're sort of calling it Lord of the Rings, you know, this sort of generic name, which, you know, of course will make people think that, um, 
that this is a new adaptation of the novel, um, you know, most of those fans themselves, yeah, just don't don't have much sort of uh, sort of familiarity with uh, with with that second age material, which is, you know, as we've already sort of as we've already sort of talked about it, it's sort of in unfinished tales, it's in the history of Bel Earth stuff, it's um, in a lot of these volumes that I think people just you know people might buy it or you know but they won't necessarily read you know every part of it and um you know unless you're really hardcore sort of Tolkien nerd like you know like me <laughs> you know you, you're not necessarily gonna um you know gonna want to read all that stuff which is you know fine so they're they're um you know their challenge is to really make a show that somehow appeals to casual kind of fans like um, you know, perhaps like you in, in, in a sense and, um, you know, also obviously um, the core fans but then also somehow, you know, somehow able to draw in, you know, more people. And and then, you know, with Game of Thrones as a kind of context there, uh, you know, the, the fairly recent past, gosh, you know, it's starting to sound pretty challenging to me. Um, <laughs> but maybe they can pull it off. I don't know. Well, I mean, I hope, th- I hope they can pull it off you know you you want them to succeed just because it's it would be interesting to watch so um, i'm definitely i'm definitely pulling for them but um it's gonna be it's gonna be touch and go it's gonna be tough because the expectations are quite high Uh, i don't think the expectations were really i i i'm pretty sure the expectations were not that high for uh i mean there were some expectations Mm. for game of thrones but they did not hbo did not know what it was going to be game of thrones was the biggest show on HBO ever. Yeah. You know? Right. Okay, and so yeah, yeah. Um, they were not expecting that. And yeah. so they had a surprise hit on their hands. Well, this Amazon series is not going to be a surprise because it has high expectations because there were the films that were extremely yeah. profitable. And then the books have been... The books have been going on for more than 50 years now, like for 70 years yeah. or something, right? Um, yeah. So right, yeah. that's just incredible. Whereas, like with Game of yeah. Thrones series, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire is not even finished yet, so they're not really comparable that way. Um, the show could kind of, uh, you know, steal the, some thunder from the books in a way, where it's like it could actually be the original source in some ways. Um, that can't be possible with this, even with uh, the fact that it's called Lord of the Rings, but it's set in the Second Age, so it's going to be a little bit different. Um, and then they have like all these other cultural. <laughs> other cultural concerns um you know we haven't really like alluded to this but you know i've read of things like oh is there going to be diversity on the show and um tolkien was a man of his time um i think we would we would call him racist today i don't think he he was definitely not racist at the time but i mean some of his views were very uh, they weren't even eurocentric they were anglo-centric in a really deep way (laughs) And yeah. uh, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. I, I really don't like people making things uh, politically correct because right. what's politically yeah. correct now might not be politically correct in 10 years anyway. You know? So <laughs> what's the point of that? But um, I, I do wonder about how they're going to adapt that. <laughs> Aside from the sex, there's going to be the politics issue. So, um, you know, the, yeah. the honest the honest trailers... Uh, the honest trailers. It's a YouTube thing, and like they talk about how Lord of the Rings, blah blah blah, all these actors, and oh yeah, and everybody's white, <laughs> you know, which is which is true. Like every single actor in in in, in those films, to my knowledge, was white. And yeah, I've seen yeah. um I've seen like white 
nationalist, white identitarian, whatever you want to call it, types online talk about Lord of the Rings, like on Twitter. And one of the great things is like, everyone's white. It's like, imagine a world where everyone's white. And so there's, I think they can be a push, you know, and like there were non-white people in, in the film because all the evil people, all the people that followed Sauron uh, were of the, you know, non-white races. And so um, that's just, that's yeah. from the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose, again, I think the Second Age material is a little more ambiguous there, so it perhaps gives, perhaps, you know, allows for um, for interpretations, you know, visual interpretations that are less um, strict to, I don't know, um, to the textual material, which, you know, by its nature, as I've already said, is less, um, is less sort of specific in, in many regards. Um, you know, the Numenorians themselves, but, you know, their colonialism is a big theme. Their sort of, their imperial sort of overreach, um, which we'll talk about. Um, and yeah, again, I think, I think, you know, a big theme maybe of this podcast will be trying to, um, I don't know, think about Tolkien as an author, not only of the Lord of the Rings, but also of other texts as well. And, um, you know, some of these are unfinished, um, but, uh, I think they make the world perhaps in some ways more complex than you might take it to be if the Lord of the Rings was only, you know, the only text you looked at. Um, but yeah, nevertheless, I mean, in terms of the Lord of the Rings itself, um, yeah, there are sort of issues there which um, which are obviously, you know, um, perhaps difficult and, um, yeah, which, you know, I think the fandom is sort of more open about now, at least that's my impression, um, having you know, I had a look at recent conferences and things. Um, people seem to be talking about those kinds of issues, and you know, um, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a, I don't know, it's not a, it's not really about cancellation or you know, cancelling Tolkien or sort of or not. It's more about just, um, uh, you know, talking about those issues. I suppose. Um, yeah. At least that's my impression, and trying to you know, um, come to terms with it and in the context of, well, so, you know, there's, there's no question of canceling him obviously because he's yeah, such a yeah. big cultural phenomenon, but bolderizing yeah. and reshaping the source material, um, mm, you yeah. know, would be, so I, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, we should, we've been talking for a little while, so we should, we should close out soon. But I want to, sure, I want to yeah. throw out this like kind of like un unscripted, uh, topic. Uh, I'm yeah. very ambivalent about race blind casting, uh, when it comes to historicals, because right. I feel yeah. quite often it's, distracting and yes you do get used to it but um you know i mean where does there's always a limit there's always a line like you could cast a woman as king arthur and just say oh we're we're sex blind we're gender blind you know maybe you get used to it you get used (laughs) to it but you know um so i don't i don't really like it when you know like on a show like the vikings or whatever there's just random indian and black people and um they're yeah. never explained. They're just some of the other Vikings. And I'm just like, okay, that's <laughs> weird. And you're just kind of making right. a political point, you know? And so um, I don't, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. Cause like there were people who were like, uh, as we, as we would say in a Eurocentric frame of color in the world of middle earth and the Numenorians yeah. themselves, sure. their colonialism, they interacted, they intermarried with them, the black Numenorians in particular, um, I think in Harad and, you know, in the South, South of, you know, the historical, yeah, yeah. what became Gondor. 
And so, um, you know, you could work that in in a relevant way. Well, even the Numenorians themselves are not, um, uh, you know, necessarily envisaged to be just completely sort of Northern Europeans. They have the, um, uh, you know, there are various... Uh, are you talking about the three houses of the Adain? Yeah, well, there's them. Um, uh, in later in later sort of essays, Tolkien remarks that, well, some of them are kind of, you know, some of them are dark-skinned. Um, okay. And there's also the Druidane, yes. who are the sort of uh, the Wozes. And yeah. some of them are Numenorians, actually. Yes, as well. yes. So there's a little bit more, you know, the Numenorians aren't just sort of, they're not an Aryan sort of race. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was... Well, I mean, it was it was a, the, of the Numenorians, like you know. I think the, the the thing that you're alluding to is um just for the listener who is not a total nerd, uh, is <laughs> so there are three primary houses of Elfrens, a Danes that comprise the Numenorians, and uh, it was the House of Beor, uh, the House of of Haleth, and the House of Marak or the House of Hador. So the most yeah, numerous, okay. the, the most numerous were the House of Hador, and they they would be like tall blonde types. Yeah, they're the kind uh, of they're the kind of yeah. Yeah, and so those are the most numerous, but the House of Beor um, mm-hmm. is the second, and they are more like brown-haired, kind of stockier. And I, I have read that the House of Beor contributed dis- disproportionately to, um, you know, the, the ancestor of, uh, was it like, uh, I forget the name now, but basically the house that led to um, uh, Elisar and, oh, you know, the... the um... The house of um oh god I think a brain yeah yeah, yeah. You know, the, um, yeah, yeah. I don't, yes <laughs> Alinda, but it's, it's yes the house of Elendil like but they but they they come from a particular lineage that's because like because someone asked yeah. Tolkien that like they they they're not as blonde as the house of Hador is described and he said oh well they have more of the their heritage from the house yeah, of well, Beor. It's, it's related to you know they come out of Luthien and and uh, yes. sort of Baron and and yeah yes that's, that's, yes and Baron was uh. <laughs> Was was part of that mix, and then of course there's the House of Haleth, which is like not talked about very much because they were they spoke a different language, a uh, family actually, than the House of Marak and the House of Beor, because they were quite yeah, different, yeah. and they're kind of like yeah. described as small, dark people. So those are the three <laughs> three primary, um, con- con- you know, con- and like and the Drug, the Druid, you know, that you were saying, um, were also part of it. So. It, there was a mix, like there is some variation yeah, yeah. to draw upon, and so I would say um, in defense of the House of Hellath, they're pretty important in the story of uh, Turin and, and various other silver yes. stories. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So I mean, all of this ethnography is like pretty detailed in in Tolkien's legendary. Yeah, there's there's sure, a lot to mine. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the the ethnography part is um, perhaps something we can talk about in the future more, but. Um, yeah, that, that's there is quite a detailed um, schema, I guess, if you if you like. And um, there's a scholar called Dimitri Femi who um, I don't know, you may or may not have heard of. She's um, yeah, she's done a lot of work on that. Um, worth sort of uh, having having a look at some of her work, but um, you know, and the sort of the place of that kind of ethnography and a kind of Victorian um, ideas about race and everything else. So. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's an element of you know Tolkien's work that's um, that's interesting and also sort of increasingly talked about um, in the scholarly community. And as with any adaptation, it'll be interesting to see, um, yeah, how exactly the, the the showrunners incorporate all of that, you know, if at all, yeah. if they pay any attention to it, into the um, 
Well, I, I do want to say with like the sex and the race and the politics and the gender and the sexual <laughs> orientation, you know, like there's going to be questions about that. Um, I'm not like a total fuddy duddy. I don't think that we need to be stuck <laughs> yep. in 1950, but um, I also don't, I don't want it to feel like 2020. Yeah, That's, no, I, I think yeah, I agree with that as well. I, it shouldn't, it shouldn't simply just, it shouldn't simply reflect, you know, uh, contemporary politics as a kind of, you know, um, like a mirror. It should, yeah. It, should it can be. Different. It can be inflected. It can be inflected by contemporary yeah, politics yeah. because we are it is sure. of this time, and the viewers are of this time. So that makes sense. But you know, the whole idea of this sort of genre fiction, though this mythic um, cycle that he created, was also to place us in a different time and give mm-hmm. us a sense of timeless values, timeless lessons, timeless morals. And part of that has yeah. to be that it pulls you out of your time. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, um, so for example, like you know, I'm not, I'm not white myself, but, um, and I'm pretty conscious of, you know, like I can see, like okay, like the bad guys in, you know. The, the lot you know the war against Mordor yeah. like they look like me I mean you know the humans I mean it's just like objectively true but that doesn't mean that I can't uh, relate as a human being to Aragorn and you know the side of good and stuff like that just sometimes you just need to transcend these sort of like petty sure, yeah. identitarian um of you know of affiliations afflictions like there's some people who have complained that well they don't read Lord of the Rings because it's about white people and I'm just like eh, you know what like white people. Like that's something that's invented in the last couple of centuries. Um, There are no white people on on Middle Earth, you know. Yes, some of them look European, but you're 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 injecting something into there that doesn't exist there. Yeah, for sure. And I think again, um, you know, the Numenorean context will perhaps make some of that politics a little bit more ambiguous. And I think also the films um, have made it worse because. Um, as you say, they more or less just, uh, you know, employed European-looking people for more or less all the right, all the, the sort of main roles, but also all the sort of uh, secondary background kind of, um, like the extras as well. Yeah, uh, well, they're all they're the people from New Zealand. Well, yeah, that's right. And, um, you yeah, know, there's all sorts of politics there as well, which is, um, <laughs> yeah, which we won't get into now with regard to New Zealand itself. But, um, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, like, in the books, <clears throat> at least some of the Gondorians are, um, you know, are not meant to be white. They're meant to be, um, you know, swarthy as the word, as he said. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, in the book there is a little, you know, it's a little bit more ambiguous than the movies would suggest. But, yeah, I mean, in general I agree with um, there are There are sort of difficulties there. But, um, you yeah, know, I guess... Yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll see. Hopefully, next year. I guess maybe if they release it then, um, <laughs> how that all how it all kind of uh, turns out. Yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful. And um, hopefully, you know, by then we'll have some more episodes, and uh, this podcast will be part of a broader, you know, conversation. Oh, yeah. This will be the best podcast, and you know we'll have the most listeners. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? You know what? Like, just uh, you got to have hope, even in the dark times. And, uh, you know, yeah, when yeah. you think like all hope is lost, it's not lost, and maybe we will be the greatest podcast <laughs> of them all. You know? Yes, yeah, yeah. 
So I guess just to, to finish up here, um, I just wanted to ask you, because you're the fantasy fan, um, talking about adaptations, are there any series that you've, I don't know, read that you would like to see kind of adapted in the future um, to television mm. or, um, and I know there's a few that uh, that are being adapted. Um, yes. Not to obviously the second age of the rings, but also you know, there's a Game of Thrones prequel, at least one. Yeah. Um, and there's Patrick Rothfuss, I think, I think that series is going to be adapted, right? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. The, the issue with a lot of these is like they're all, a lot of them are in development or option, and they don't ever get made. Mm-hmm. So like okay, back when right, Terry yeah. Brooks was a bigger deal, I think they actually did end up making a series on MTV or somewhere of his uh, series. Um, in terms of like what I would like to be made, um, I you know <laughs> so I've read I read Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson is like uh, how would I describe him? He's kind of like a cheese pizza. Um, where it's like, it's delicious, you know what you're going to get, but you never think back to that, wow, that cheese pizza, right. eh, three months ago, like I'm still remembering how it tastes like, no, it's just, it's a cheese pizza, you eat it, it's done, and you go on and you think. So Brandon Sanderson <laughs> writes books that um, you can read fast, and they're well-written, and they're enjoyable, but then you yep. don't really, he doesn't leave you with haunting passages or, you know, mm. just... Okay. Just like scenes that stay with you. So I still remember reading the, I mean, pretty much the prologue of Game of Thrones, the first book in A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. when, you know, when Ned has to execute the deserter, right? I yes, remember things yeah, yeah. like that. A lot of people remember the Red Wedding, you know? Um, yeah, I just remember yeah. what, where they were when they read it and how they felt. So, um, you know, for all the, negatives and like frankly i think the series has declined a lot since storm of Thor- swords of, of george r. r martin he did um create some evocative uh pass passages and some plot lines someone like ursula k Le Guin, she was really great pro stylist and um there are passages yeah, yeah, you can sure. remember so i'm just contrasting that to say brandon sanderson who he's a really good plotter but he writes fast, he writes a lot, and it shows because he's not as careful about that sort of thing, and so you don't remember it as well. But I do think it would be good, uh, some of his uh, some of his stuff, especially um, the currently unfinished um, Stormlight Chronicles, just like epic fantasy and like a you know multi-planetary scale with you know alien creatures that are very distant. Um, I think it would actually be good um, as uh, television because of, or a film, but definitely television uh, because it, it just has all these like world building elements that are unique and novel. And uh, frankly, there's could be some cinematic. Um, potential in the way he created this world that's like you know ripped to shreds periodically by these massive storms and, and stuff like that so I, I think that that's one thing that i would um say would yeah, yeah you could you could turn that i mean i think patrick rossfuss um his is not as his world building in my opinion is not as exceptional right. as george r, r. martin uh, or okay. brandon Sanderson, but he, yeah. he he has a good plot and he has good character and so i can see how that would be turned into a television show less a movie you know like I think I think movie yeah, and a so. film, um, you know, like so for example, the dragons in Game of Thrones, I mean, the fact that he mm-hmm. had dragons was good for the show. Yeah. Because right, you know, yeah. like yes, it was expensive, but like <laughs> you could do things with the visual medium, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Whereas like um 
some of the other some other novels don't have dragons or you know they're less <laughs> they're less there's less spectacle there's more introspection so maybe it's better fiction but it might not be as yeah. good television yeah. speaking about dragons um you know uh my favorite tolkien book is actually uh the uh the children of her which has a dragon as, as a yeah sort of the main character so, well, so um and speaking about so- sex you know yeah, yeah, go on. Go on Obscure fact, though, all the dragons killed in the history of Middle Earth killed by men. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's just a fact. The elves did not kill yeah. any of them. Even Scutha the Worm. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess uh, you mentioned um, at the start of the podcast, you mentioned uh, Scott Baker or uh, Scott Baker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've heard like two or three of of his books i don't know if you've read them but um i've actually thought it would be fun to adapt his his uh yeah his nihilist kind of fantasy (laughs) yeah it is nihilist like i've read i've read read the whole i read his whole series actually uh i read like there's is it like two trilogies now or there's a tetralogy and a trilogy and so i've read it all um he's really good in my opinion um you know i think like he's he's he needs to he's got a I mean, entirely frank, I feel like his last couple of books have been a little stale, like he hasn't right. really right. moved the needle to. But again, he uh, he has some very evocative, like, for example, the the, the, the antagonist, the evil, the, mm. the side mm. of evil, you know, um, in his work is very, very, um, like, it stays with you. You know, the incurable, yeah, sure. um, they're yes, extremely, yeah, yeah. like, they're just, they're literally perverted. They're literally yes, perverted, yeah. right? And so, yeah. um, he, he he has some really great, um, you know, like imagine like the uh, the the great ship, their great ship that's like buried, you know, like imagine the scenes that yeah. could be filmed there. So I, you know, people yeah, who yeah. read our Scar Baker series know exactly what I'm talking about. So there's there's a lot sure. of filming, yeah. there's a lot of like you know visual possibilities there um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I think could be done. So I think that's a good point too. Yeah, no, I think of any of any uh, sort of modern fantasy writer that I've read, um, I think uh, Scott Baker would be my favorite, and I really should get back to reading, um, reading his stuff because I, yeah, I read, so yeah. I actually I, occasionally I, I will post about fantasy on my blog, yeah, yeah. and he actually left a comment because I, I mentioned his work um, in part of my analysis, and he left a comment like, and he actually liked my post, so that was. Right. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I did read a few of his. Uh, I think he has a blog. I don't know if it's still yeah, around. He does three pound um, brain. I think he's still he's still doing. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a, he's a philosopher by background. So yeah, it's he very, very, about philosopher and yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very dense. Um, yeah, yeah. It very is. Dense. Yeah. I mean, I should I should speak. Anyone who's read my blog, I should speak about being. <laughs> no, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, his his blog is yeah particularly yeah particularly intense. Um, yeah, well, thank you. Um, I guess we should uh, we should uh, finish up. But um, so thanks, Razib, for a um, you know interesting interesting discussion about the show. And um, as that um, you know, as we find out more about that, and as information is released, no doubt we'll talk about that um, some more. But um, I guess at the moment, at the time of recording, that sort of represents you know some of our thoughts. Um, just a few a few quick notes before I finish up. Um, I do have a Patreon account if anyone is interested, if anyone, you know, uh, is listening. <laughs> so that's just uh, patreon.com slash reading Tolkien pod, uh, P-O-D. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's all really, um, we have a, I, I did set up a Twitter page if anyone is interested. So you can follow, 
follow follow us there. Um, got a nice logo and everything, so um, I was particularly happy with that. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, next time hopefully uh, we'll have a look at um, Eldarian and Arendus, which I sort of mentioned briefly here um, uh, from the Unfinished Tales volume. Uh, if people are sort of interested in reading that, so thanks again, and um, you know, we'll uh, yeah, hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll uh, we'll see you next time. So thanks, Rajiv. All right. All right. No worries.